Last week in our Worship in the Dark series, we explored Habakkuk's questions. They're found in Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is wrestling with some deep questions. He looks around him at the world, and he sees that it's broken. And it appears at first as if God isn't doing something. And so we ask four powerful questions, some of the same questions that you and I wrestle with today. Here's what he was asking in essence. Number one, God, are you listening? Do you really hear me? Number two, God, why is this happening? What's the purpose in the midst of this? I do not understand. Thirdly, the one that we often ask is, God, how long will this last? And then finally, he asks, Lord, what are you doing about it? Have you asked God those kinds of questions? If so, we have much to learn from Habakkuk. First of all, Habakkuk took his questions to the right place. He did not post on social media or go ask friends what they thought. Habakkuk took his questions directly to the Lord. And what's more important is that Habakkuk stayed to listen. The truth is, often our prayers are a bit like children that play ding-dong ditch. Now, you may not know that term, but you may be familiar with the idea. Here's basically what it is. It's a prank that children or immature teens and sometimes adults do where they run and they'll ring the doorbell and then run away. They make the owner of the house come to an empty door. Sometimes, if we're honest, our prayers are a bit like that. We run to God with our complaint, with our question, but we do not wait for him to come and answer. We do not listen for his voice. Habakkuk not only took his questions to the right person, God, he waited patiently and humbly for God to answer. So let's begin to look at God's answer to Habakkuk. We explored this a lot last week. And so I just want to review it briefly, and then we're going to move on to something new. Here's what it says in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Here's the Lord speaking. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. If we knew what God knows, we would always want what God wants, and we would wait for his timing. Understand, God has all the information. He sees what is hidden, and he knows where the circumstance you're in right now will lead. God says to Habakkuk, watch, because I am doing far more than you can imagine. I'm doing something amazing. If I told you what it was, you wouldn't have the understanding to believe it. You couldn't take it all in. Now, we have the benefit of being able to look back and see some of what God is referring to, of what he was doing among the nations that Habakkuk could not see. 
God was doing at least four things that Habakkuk couldn't see. We looked at these last week. First of all, God was purifying his people. God uses the circumstances that we go through, the trials, the difficulty, the suffering, to purify us, to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. Secondly, God was preparing the world for Jesus' first coming. Habakkuk couldn't see that. Thirdly, God was pursuing those who did not yet know him. He was doing a work among the nations that was bringing forth salvation. And finally, God was prosecuting the guilty. He was building a legal case, writing down the very things that they were doing, because that is what they would be judged by. So God tells Habakkuk that he's raising up the Chaldeans to accomplish his work, his purpose. But that leads Habakkuk to even more questions. Look at his second complaint. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up a man more righteous than he? Notice that Habakkuk's confidence is firmly rooted in the Lord. He trusts his life, everything that he is and everything he's seeing to the Lord. Even though there is much he doesn't understand, he calls the Lord my God, my Holy One. He says that God is his rock. God is the very foundation of Habakkuk's life. His trust in God is bigger than his doubts and his questions. So the first thing I need to ask you is, what are you doing with your questions? Have you taken them to the Lord himself? And are you listening for his answer? Are you trusting in his goodness and his grace? Are you looking back to see what he has already done in your life? I want you to see what Habakkuk did with his questions because it is so very cool. Habakkuk chapter two, beginning in verse one. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk uses a powerful metaphor to express obedience, humility, and expectation. He uses words that bring to mind the idea of a watchtower, much like the one you see here in Prague 5. It's a tower with guards who are looking out for messengers that will be bringing news from afar, or they're looking out for danger. But they're expectant, they're on duty, and they're watching to see what is happening. But Habakkuk takes that imagery and he says, that's what I'm doing with the Lord. I'm watching to see what he will do, what he will answer, and then I'm going to adjust my life to what he tells me to do. Habakkuk says four important things here for us to do as well in times of uncertainty and questions. When we wrestle with questions, here are the things that you and I should do. Habakkuk says, first of all, I will take my stand at my watch post. Do you know how significant that is? Because what he's saying is he's saying that I will do my part 
and obey what God has already shown me to do. When he says, I will take my stand at my watch post, he's saying, I'm going to do exactly what I know God wants me to do. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to do the part I know he's already revealed to me and be faithful to the Lord. Secondly, he says, I will station myself on the tower. Well, what was Habakkuk's tower? It was his trust that God is good and that God is in control. Just a few verses earlier, Habakkuk calls God his rock. Habakkuk has built his life, his worldview, his faith, not on what he sees around him, but on the attributes of an almighty God. So we are to do the same thing. We are to station ourselves on God's character. We're to put our security in what we already know of God, about his goodness, about his grace, about his truth, about his holiness, about his love. When everything is falling apart and nothing makes sense, you can always fall back to the unchanging character of God. We have a tower to go to that is God himself, that is secure against the storms of life. No matter what life may throw at us, the tower of God's character, his attributes, can withstand the storm. In the verses prior to this, Habakkuk refers to God as his Lord. He recognizes that God is active, that he is working, and he knows that God is eternal. His perspective is higher than his. And so the idea of the tower is that he's going to go up and climb to see things from God's viewpoint. He's confident that God is in control, that he is sovereign, but also that God is his protector. He is the rock. That imagery all through the Old Testament of God being a rock means that he's a foundation that we can build our life on that is secure, but also it's a picture that goes back to Israel in the wilderness where God brought forth water from the rock. You see, the rock is a person. It is Jesus Christ himself. And so Habakkuk confesses that there's so much he does not understand about what is happening. But Habakkuk chooses to station himself on the one thing he can count on, God's character. Further, Habakkuk says, I will look out and see what he will say to me. Now, what are we to do with that? We are to listen to God's word. We're to trust that God is working and that he will reveal himself more and more to you through his word. Habakkuk says, I will look out and see what I will answer concerning my complaint. That sentence is incredibly important because you see what it's saying is that Habakkuk expects the Lord to correct him. He understands that he's missing something. There's a parallax view in his understanding of what God is doing and who God is and the circumstances that he sees. It seems out of alignment but he knows that the misunderstanding is on his part and not on God's. And so he's responding to God's correction with humility. He's anticipating that God will bring him into a more right understanding of who he is and what he is doing. Habakkuk understands that the confusion that he has is because he can't see things from God's perspective. 
Now, wrapped inside of these words is an expectation of repentance. Habakkuk expects God to correct him, and he's already prepared his heart to both worship and obey. Habakkuk responds with faith in God. God is his tower. God is his trust. He climbs the tower to get a view above the circumstances and to look at life from God's viewpoint. God commanded Habakkuk to look among the nations and to see what he is doing. God was doing far more than Habakkuk could believe. So Habakkuk climbs up expectantly onto the tower of who God is, onto his character, and he lifts his eyes above the darkness that surrounds him and looks for God himself. This is what faith is. This is what faith does. Real faith always leads to obedience and worship. As Habakkuk stands waiting on the tower, obeying what he knows to do and expectantly listening, God answers. Habakkuk 2, beginning of verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. God instructs Habakkuk to do three things here. First of all, he tells him to write it down, to record what God has spoken. Habakkuk is to write down what God has said, to think about it, to meditate on it. Let me encourage you and I to do the same thing. We're to write down what God says in his word, what he speaks into our hearts and into our minds through his word. Let me encourage you to begin a process, if you've never done so before, to journal as you read God's word. Take notes and pray over what God shows you. Speak it back to him. Look for the promises that you see in his word. Write those things down and allow that to strengthen your understanding of who God is and what he says. Secondly, not only was Habakkuk to write it down because God was speaking something that was moving towards the future through Habakkuk, he also tells him to be a witness to others. God tells Habakkuk that he is to write it in such a way that others can understand and respond to the gospel. He says to write it on tablets and to write it down in such a way that those who read it may run. Remember, the gospel is what the whole book of Habakkuk is all about. God is sending out salvation, the salvation of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to all peoples. God is telling Habakkuk, and he's telling us to not only listen, but also to be a witness to others of the good news that God is working in the darkness. His plan is for good. It's for the salvation of others. That's one of the things that Habakkuk couldn't see. He couldn't see how this terrible circumstance that he was going through and that God was speaking about was ultimately going to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, who would bring good news to all peoples. We need to write down what God says. We need to obey it. And we need to become a witness of his goodness, of his power, of his holiness, of his love, 
of his salvation to others. The third thing that God tells Habakkuk is this, that he is to wait for God to show up. The message that Habakkuk heard was bigger than him. It was bigger than Judah, bigger than Israel. It was a message for all peoples. God is not slow, but he is patient. And you and I should be very thankful that he is. Peter, this way in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. We are to be expectant that God is working and that Jesus will return. We are to listen to what God has spoken in his word and obey it. We are to witness with our lives as an accurate reflection of Jesus and of his words and to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, about salvation, about life in him. And it's not just having eternal life, a life after death. It's about having eternal life now, a relationship with God. Now, the next verse is the most important verse in the whole book. Here, God tells Habakkuk and us how we are to live. Look what it says. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous, or the just, your translation may say, shall live by faith. That's the message of Habakkuk. And this little verse is used three times in the New Testament, and each time it is revolutionary. It cuts through the confusion to the very heart of how we are to respond to God. The righteous will live by faith. But that brings us to a very important question. What is faith? There's a lot of confusion about what faith is today. Some view faith as an emotional response that we are to stir up within us. Others view faith as a power in and of itself that somehow we grab a hold of, kind of like the force in Star Wars. But both of those views are errors. They are not what the scriptures teach. Because in both cases, the faith described is more about us than it is about God. From those ideas come some dangerous teachings, teachings that, if we're not careful, can lead us to a misunderstanding of who God is and how we're to follow him, how we're to place our faith in him. For instance, some would teach that if you're suffering from an illness, then you must not have enough faith. And if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't get sick or you wouldn't be struggling with this physical infirmity. God intends for you to be healthy and to experience prosperity. But that's not the teaching of the scripture. In fact, each time that we see the righteous will live by faith, it's set within a context of suffering. You see, when we take that view of faith, faith is not about God, it's about us. It's about us having the best things we could possibly imagine here and now, rather 
than pursuing God and loving Him for all that He is. Here's an important thing to remember. If faith is about you, if it's about what you do, then it's not faith. That's the message of the world. The world tells us to have faith in ourselves. God, however, defines faith very differently in His Word. Here God draws two very different paths. Look at exactly what God says. Let's look again at Habakkuk 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. God is contrasting two different approaches to life. There are two paths that each of us can take. The path of the proud, where life is about us. The soul of the proud, God says, is not upright. His thoughts are self-focused. He has an improper view of God. He has an upside-down worldview. In the place where God should be, he's placed his own image. That's what he's saying in the first part of the verse. When we make faith something that we stir up, we are actually making it about ourselves. It's a form of pride. And God gives a strong caution against that. We are not to take the path of the proud because the truth is life is not about us. But there's a second path that's presented there, the path of the righteous. They are righteous because of their faith in God. The path of the just is the path of faith. Our whole being embraces God. With our minds, we examine the evidence of who God is and what he has done, the way he has revealed himself, both in creation and in his word. And then we embrace it by faith. Our hearts take that evidence and see that God is in control and that we can place our trust in him. We can place our hope in him. And then our wills chooses to trust the Lord and obey him out of love. So what really is faith? Well, here's what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understood that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Faith is placing the focus on God what he has done, and what he has promised, and then aligning our lives to him. Here's the best way I know to define faith. I want to encourage you to write this down and remember it. Faith is trusting and treasuring God above everything else. Let me say it one more time. I want to make sure you get it. Faith is trusting and treasuring God above everything else. You see, faith has two components that are absolutely necessary. First of all, faith is trusting God. We are building our lives on God's plan, on God's provision, on God's power, and on God's timing. But that in and of itself is incomplete for a definition of faith. It has one more component that is absolutely necessary if it's to prove to be genuine biblical faith. Faith is not only trusting, faith is treasuring God above everything else. We choose to live for God's glory and not our own. Faith is never about us. True faith is always about God.
Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Faith is believing Christ is what he is said to be and that he will do what he has promised to do and then to expect this of him. Faith is trusting and treasuring God above everything else. The evidence that our faith is real is obedience and worship out of love. We choose to trust God with our minds, we joyfully treasure God with our hearts, and we obey God with our wills. Here's what the psalmist says. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. Psalm 28, 7. Notice the psalmist trusts in God and then he treasures him. That's what it means when he says he exults. This exulting is worshiping, rejoicing, delighting in and being moved by the supremacy, the beauty, the glory of God. And this is why he continues to to brag upon the work of God in the life of his people. Look what it says next. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Psalm 28, verses 8 and 9. Biblical faith has always looked the same, Old Testament and New Testament. We look away from ourselves and we look to God. We look upon God who has revealed himself. He has made promises. He has acted powerfully. He has showcased his supremacy, his greatness, his glory, and he has won our loyalty. So we believe, we trust, and we treasure God. That kind of faith is enduring. Here's something else to to, to write down. Faith remembers in the darkness what God has promised in the light. Do you remember what Habakkuk did? Habakkuk said that when he was confused, when he didn't understand, he went up the tower. He went to God himself. He went to get God's view of life and of the circumstances around him. And then he anchored his life on the promises of God. That's what we're to do as well. Faith remembers in the darkness what God has promised in the light, the light of his word. Hebrews 10 puts it this way. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Faith remembers in the darkness what God has promised in the light. It enables us to go through seasons of trial and uncertainty and darkness 
and to respond with obedience, with love, with worship, and as a witness to others. You see, in that context, we're to endure through trial, through suffering, to trust and treasure God above everything else. You see, when we understand that God is the focus, the circumstances simply become the canvas upon which His glory may be revealed. Therefore, if it is more glorifying to the Lord that I suffer, that I endure, that I go through a time of trial or sickness or difficulty, but it brings Him glory, then it's worth it. If it is God's glory that I be blessed, that that is what will honor Him most, then I'm thankful for that. But you see, throughout the Scripture, the heroes of faith were ones who stayed true to God, who placed their trust in Him, who treasured Him above everything else. That's what we're to do, no matter what the circumstances we're in. We all have questions. We may look at our world and it seems like evil is thriving, division is growing, but this is what we need to remember. God is working. He is preparing the world for Jesus' return. He is pursuing those who do not yet know Him. He is purifying His church and God is prosecuting injustice. He's building a case that will come to trial before God Himself. Habakkuk teaches us about trusting and treasuring God above our circumstances. That is enduring faith, a faith that empowers us to worship in the darkness that often surrounds us. God is working in our midst, and we, like Habakkuk, need to climb the tower of faith, the tower of God Himself, and wait there listen to his voice, and then obey what he tells us to do. Next week, we're going to look at Habakkuk's final answer. Because you see, what the conclusion that Habakkuk comes to is that even if everything falls apart, if every day from this day forward is, is filled with struggle, I'm going to worship the Lord because he is the one who sets my feet on the true high places. When we see how he responds, it will teach us a great deal about how we are to live. You see, Habakkuk had discovered that God himself was his strength. God was his hope. God was the one that he both trusted and treasured. My prayer is that you and I will learn to do the same. If you have questions, if you're wrestling, the other thing we want you to know is you're not alone. God has given us his word, but he's also given us one another. We don't have to go through this journey on our own. If we can be an encouragement to you, if we can walk alongside of you, would you send us a message? Write to us on Facebook, or um, you can send us an email, or you can even join in the discussion. In fact, I want to encourage you um, to stay tuned and and there's discussion there's chat going on both on youtube and on facebook you can be a part of that discussion but if we can help you in any way please just contact us the lord bless you may he surround you with his presence and may he empower you to be able to trust him and treasure him above everything else